0: Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And it is officially spooky Spooky season. season. (laughs) Okay, we got to work on our harmonies. (laughs) Hopefully by the end of the month, we got it. I just want to say I am so sorry for the delay. We were really talking last episode about how excited we were to bring all this fun content. And then I got trapped in a little hurricane called Ian not something I planned on. So this is technically going to be the first episode in our spooky season content. We are bringing a ton of episodes to you guys, but I certainly appreciate everyone being really patient and for Annie letting me use one of her pre-recorded podcasts and kind of make her mini sewed a real episode, but thanks everyone and to Annie especially for your patience because let's just say I was without internet, cell phone. I had no access to do anything podcast related when I was down there.
1: No, I feel like we can describe your last three months of life as spooky. (laughs) Like it kind of dovetails in the spooky season.
0: You're not wrong. I made the joke that maybe I'm just really good at manifesting. And I said I wanted to see the ocean, and the ocean came to me. It came all the way to me, (laughs) on top of me, around me, from the ground up. So I'm going to manifest a little less and be very careful with my word choices (laughs) when I speak things out to the universe. But I do want to just point out again, thank you, Annie, for letting me use your podcast in in lieu of mine. Thank you for staying safe. Okay. (laughs) And for keeping us updated. I
1: was texting you like, are you good? My favorite guy was that little palm tree outside every Airbnb. (laughs) Kevin! I was was sending him all the good vibes. I'm like, come on, Kevin.
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was staying at one Airbnb and had to evacuate. And thank God I did. Because when I went back to see it, there was a probably, I don't even know, a 60-foot palm tree that had gone through the roof and there had been some flooding there. So it would have been an incredibly scary experience. I was incredibly lucky that my friend's parents had a place down there that I could stay at and kind of ride out the storm since all the flights were canceled. But I've never been through a hurricane before and it is scary. And it's not only just scary while you're in it, but seeing, especially for someone like myself that gets very affected by other people's emotions the heaviness of just the destruction that came through I, that area yeah i cannot imagine i mean even seeing
1: everything now on the news and on social media of how bad it actually got because in the moment there's no cell phone service there's no electricity you can't really keep updated and then you see the after effects and it's like sunny in florida now so there's like light on everything and it's just like oh so bad. It was
0: a really, really bizarre experience. But I do want to say if you would like to donate to the people of Florida who lost their homes, there are two charities that I've looked into that are doing things ethically. And what I mean by that is a majority of your money is actually going towards the people that need help, not lining the pocketbooks of CEOs. Annie, we should probably do an episode just about charity fraud at some point. Let's Um, do it. But I will be linking both of those in the show notes. And again, just I appreciate your patience. But we also have some other news. Hurricane survived. Check that off the list. But <laughs> I need to remind everyone that if you aren't already, please make sure you're following us on Instagram at a case of the Sunday scaries because we have some very big announcements coming up and we want to include you guys in them. I will just give a little hint that I am moving into a new place and we are creating a little we're not sure what to call it yet. This is why we need you guys' help, but mm-hmm. let's just call it a podcast den for right now. And so we're going to be picking out paint samples and doing some really cool stuff to create a more interactive space where we can bring this podcast, um, let's just say, it, to you in multi dimensional ways. So excited. Me too. We're, well, I'm putting you to work. You're painting next week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. We're going from podcasting to painting. We'll see how good I am at it. I don't
0: know. This, <laughs> this relationship is blossoming before our eyes. <laughs> but I think what I'm looking forward to the most is just getting rid of Zoom and you and I sitting down face-to-face and recording. I think it's going to bring a lot more energy to the podcast. And also, I just enjoy your company. So I'm very excited about it.
1: I agree. It's kind of hard to do it over just video because like right now we're recording from our own separate home. So I'm pumped for the in-person more pumped just to see you and be able to have a glass of wine together and bring our passions to a she shed, is what I'm calling it. I know it doesn't have, a, have an official name yet, but I cannot wait for that moment and it's going to be here before we know it.
0: It absolutely is. So please, like I said, follow us on Instagram. We want your guys' input because you are the ones that are listening to this and potentially watching it in the future. So we want to make sure to include you guys. And also, I would count myself as like a pretty good designer as far as decorating goes, but I'm thinking we're going to need some help along the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get into our first episode of Spooky Season. I am so excited to talk about this case because it is something that I... I've always had a question behind because if you're a fan of Halloween, like Annie and I certainly are, you're probably familiar with the folklore about blades being put into candy and razors and apples and poisonous candy and all of these little myths that you hear as a kid. Or maybe growing up, your parents made sure to warn you not to accept things that weren't in their original wrapper. Or if you're like my mom, she would go through all of our candy before we could eat any of it. Same. (laughs) Right? It was like that. That was the worst, just sitting there like... Come on, lady. And there was four kids in my house. So it took a while.
1: <laughs> and you knew that as soon as the candy was released, you could start the bartering process of like, I'll trade you a Reese's for a Smarties. Okay, fine. Four Smarties for one Reese's. Let's be real.
0: I always did that. Well, and I don't like chocolate. So I really would barter. We'd
1: be best friends and as kids then. Because
0: <laughs> I love chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have all my chocolate. I just want the like, sweet and sour. And old school candies. Like give me red vines all day long. All of those are safe practices. Thank you, mom and dad. Thank you, Annie's mom and dad. But there is a really sinister story behind all of this folklore. This is going to be the case of Ronald Clark O'Brien, the man who killed Halloween, who is also dubbed the Candyman. Do you know this case?
1: I have never heard of it.
0: Ooh. I knew there was
1: always a reason behind the fear of candy because as a kid, I was terrified to take candy from strangers. Also, because, you know, the kidnapping that kind of aligns in with that, like, here's some candy, come to my creepy white van. But I've never heard of this story.
0: Well, uh, just like the creepy white van that maybe we'll talk about in a case down the road, there's always something behind every myth, right? So we take a story, and then as it's told throughout the generations, it changes and it's added onto but this one, unfortunately, is real. And normally we start at the beginning, but this tale, I'm going to tell it a little bit differently. The story starts on the evening of Halloween, October 31st, 1974. It was a rainy night, but Ronald and Denine Clark's two children, Timothy, age 8, and Elizabeth, age 5, were eager to go out trick-or-treating. They had made plans to go with the neighbor's children, and in hindsight, it seemed a little bit odd to everyone that their father, who had really never expressed a whole lot of interest in Halloween, was seemingly pretty eager to go himself. Probably to Denine's delight, I imagine. She gets to stay cozy inside. She's putting up with raising these two kids, and he's offering to take the kids out in the rain. I would be totally. pretty thrilled to pour a glass of wine
1: myself. Oh, yeah. It's like, if you want to go, go right on ahead have our little werewolf and little vampire. You go. Yep.
0: <laughs> this is a nice little bonding experience. I'll be here bonding with this bottle of wine in a good movie. <laughs> Probably Hocus Pocus. I don't think it was out at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy and Elizabeth rushed to meet up with their neighbor, Jim Bates, and his two children, and the six of them set off down the street. They came upon a house that seemed unoccupied, but of course, the kids had to get as much candy as possible, so they knocked anyways. When no one came to the door, the kiddos rushed ahead to the next house because who's going to wait around for the person who's not coming to the door, right? Maybe they're home. Maybe they're not. Or maybe they're like me and sometimes just ignore trick or treat.
1: <laughs> the, these kids are on a mission. They're like, we got two hours to fill our bags with candy.
0: You're not home. I'm moving on. It's raining outside. So I'm sure the parents are going, OK, let's make this quick. However, Ronald seemed to lag behind, catching up with them just a few houses down the street. And he brought with him one heck of a candy score now if you're a smart kid you know which houses give away full-size candy bars and you make sure to stop by those houses first every year right and which ones give away apples
1: and you're like i'm right. not going back to you i learned last year
0: <laughs> apples and granola thanks kathy i feel like. <laughs> sorry kathy's out there but i don't know it just seemed fitting but when ronald walked up holding five 21 inch pixie sticks can you imagine how elated they were? Do you remember these things that were like the size? I mean, they weren't the size of a yardstick because I'm smart enough to know that's three feet, <laughs> <laughs> but close enough, those things were huge. And keep in mind that Timothy is eight, Elizabeth is five. That's probably half their height in straight flavored, like sugary, yummy goodness. It's a gold mine. Absolutely. Like, dad of the year, right? He said that he had gotten the pixie sticks from the house that they assumed was unoccupied, but more on that later. Side note, because I always love my side notes, don't I? (laughs) Let's talk about the history of pixie sticks. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) I, I know I always go off on tangents, but I just like to find out the history of everything. So pixie sticks have always been sort of a candy that I had a bad connotation with this case certainly didn't help it but I remember kids making jokes or maybe they were actually doing it about snorting pixie sticks do I've you seen remember kids this? do it oh yeah oh you've seen people actually do it yes in
1: like elementary school after a Halloween party but I'm scarred by pixie sticks not because of that but because I would always be dumb and put my mouth like on the paper oh, you know where it gets super gummy and like nothing comes out you got to open up the other side then it spills out So I, too, have a bad connotation with pixie sticks. But I never snorted them.
0: No, well, I didn't assume that you did. (laughs) Okay, I'm like, hang on. Let me clear the air. (laughs) I I saw it, but I did not inhale. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Clinton. But I did a little research on Pixie Sticks, and it turns out that they were originally manufactured as a drink mix. A lot like you would think of Kool-Aid today. But when World War II came around, sugar got rationed, and J. Fish Smith, the creator of Pixie Sticks, noticed that the kids were still buying drink mix and eating the powder like it was candy. So he had the genius idea of just adding a little spoon to the package. And that was the first rendition of what we now know as Pixie Sticks. Obviously, the packaging changed, but it was still just flavored sugar and a lot of unnatural dyes. (laughs) And now that same formula is pressed into tablet form, and that's what sweet tarts are. They're the exact same candy. I did not know that. Me either. So moral of the story is I love a little history and a side note, and don't um, snort pixie sticks or anything else for that matter. (laughs) <laughs> just nothing <laughs> but since this isn't a candy podcast let's get back to this halloween night the rain started picking up so the kids ended their trick-or-treating a little bit early robert handed one of these giant pixie sticks to each of his children as well as the neighbor's children and the group parted ways but on the walk home ronald recognized a 10 year old boy from church and gave him that extra pixie sticks again dad of the year you would think As most parents do, they wanted to ration out the candy, so Ronald told them that they could each pick out one piece of candy to have before bed. Now, Timothy was smart and, of course, picked the candy that was the biggest, the 21-inch pixie stick. And let's be honest, I probably would have done the same most kids probably would. Like, oh, I can only have one. I'll have the one that's 21 inches long. No problem. (laughs) I won't have a sugar high at all. I'll be nice and I'll sleep through the night. But he noticed that there was a staple at the top. So he went to his dad, had his dad help him remove it. And if you remember those big pixie sticks, they did have a folded off edge. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this struck him as abnormal. But when he got that staple removed, he struggled to get any of the powder out of it. Maybe he pulled the U and put his mouth on it a little bit too much. It does make it a lot harder. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly does. But Ronald helped him loosen the powder and an eager Timothy did what we all did with pixie sticks – raise that straw back and let the sugar flow. However, he complained that it tasted a little weird. Instead of the sweet sugar, it tasted really bitter. So Ronald gave him a glass of Kool-Aid to wash the taste down. Well, funny enough, almost immediately, Timothy began to have intense stomach pains and ran to the bathroom where he began profusely vomiting. Not long after, he began to convulse. Now, I'm not a parent, so I can't judge what other parents do in these situations. But wouldn't you think that this would be the time that you would call 911? 100%. It's one thing if your kid had too much sugar, Kool-Aid, Pixie Sticks, whatever the case may be, and now they have an upset stomach. Kind of par for the course for Halloween. But if your child is convulsing with no medical reason why, you think you would be calling 911.
1: And they only got one piece of candy, right? So this was like the very first piece. No stomach aches. Right. None. Hmm.
0: But no, Ronald said he would just help Timothy while he vomited, and then the child went limp in his arms. In fact, from Ronald's own story from that night that he told police, 30 seconds after I left Tim's room, I heard him cry to me, Daddy, Daddy, my stomach hurts. He was in the bathroom convulsing, vomiting, and gasping, and then he suddenly went limp. Unfortunately, Timothy died en route to the hospital less than an hour after eating the candy. Timothy was just eight years old, That Halloween. Deer Park is a small town, and in the 1970 census, there was only about 12,000 people living there at the time. So you can imagine how quickly rumors about a poisoned Halloween candy bag are going to be spread very, very quickly amongst the adults, amongst the kids. Families brought all of their trick or treat candies into the police station to turn them in like all these poor kids are like it's like that oh what is that late night show where they pretend they prank the kids you know and say like oh mommy and daddy ate all your halloween candy yeah it's like it's either jimmy fallon or
1: the other jimmy Jimmy
0: kimmel it's jimmy kimmel (laughs) those videos are so cute though They really are. And some (laughs) of those kids are sassy. And I imagine the kids of Deer Park probably felt the same. Like, what? They don't understand what's happening. Now their parents are scooping up all their Halloween candy and bringing it to the police station. Like, that would be so confusing. But obviously the parents are doing the right thing in this case. They were terrified that perhaps their kids, too, could have received a piece of this poison candy. The other pixie sticks, remember we're on the hunt now for four others, were recovered from the Bates family, But what about the fifth that was given to that boy from the church in a true miracle? I don't think you can say the phrase Halloween miracle just doesn't really roll off the tongue. And I think a lot of religions would (laughs) disagree with me. But in this instance, you can say it was a true miracle because the parents were notified by police and they began frantically searching for this pixie stick. They could not find it anywhere. Can you guess where they found it? I hope in the trash. Well, that would be good, but their son had done what most kids do and snuck a little piece of candy up to his room, but thankfully was unable to get the staple out of the top of the candy by himself, and it was laying in his bed with him, uneaten. Oh my gosh. That is a Halloween miracle. It is.
1: Also, the innocence of going to bed with your pixie stick.
0: (laughs) That is so stinking cute. The image of it is unbelievably adorable. At first, this seemed like a just horrible tragedy, like some boogeyman, serial killer, wannabe asshat is out there giving candy that could hurt or potentially kill children. And who the hell would do that? But with the public in a state of shock and fear, obviously, for their kids' safety, the police need to find out who did this to this innocent child and do it really quickly. So while waiting for an autopsy and tests to be done on the pixie stick to figure out what had happened, the police's first step was to retrace with Ronald the trick-or-treating route that they had taken that night. Of course, right? You need to find the house. You need to find this guy that gave you the pixie stick. He kept giving them conflicting reports about which house it was that he had gotten the pixie stick from. And at first, that struck me as odd. But then I did a little bit more research, and they were not actually in the Deer Park area trick-or-treating. They had gone to that Bates home, that other family. So it was a neighborhood that they weren't really familiar with. And keep in mind, it was raining. I can't say if I was watching four kids, and it's raining, and you're worried about them running into the street, and cars coming, that you're going to pay that much attention to a house.
1: Totally fair. Yeah. At first, I was like, okay, maybe the dad's in on it. You know, if he like didn't remember which house it was, but that makes sense if he went somewhere where he was unfamiliar with the territory.
0: When police asked him to describe the owner of the house once he finally did find the house he believed belonged to the pixie stick boogeyman, as we will call him, he told police a really interesting rendition of that night. He said they didn't turn on the lights, just cracked the door open and handed him five pixie sticks, not saying a word. He claimed he only saw the man's arm, which he gave a very thorough description, simply responding, it was hairy. I was going to say, did he say it was hairy? I was literally thinking that. Like, are you? Duh. so is everyone's arms. Right. Everyone's arms have hair on them. Maybe he was implying that it was a male, like he was extremely hairy. That is so suspicious. And even if this is a true story, if a creepy arm pokes out A creepy hairy arm pokes out on Halloween night in the rain, doesn't say anything to you, somehow hands you the almost exact amount of candies for the children he didn't even get to see, because supposedly he never answered the door when the kids came. You don't take the candy. I was literally thinking, like,
1: why the did he give candy? If that was the situation, that's spooky. That's straight out of, like, a scary Disney Channel movie.
0: Yeah, when a Wolverine arm comes out of a dark, creepy house, you Mm -hmm. go... No, thanks. Sorry to bother you. Have yeah. a great night. It just no, absolutely not. But at the same token, would you really even register that there is a potential that someone would ever do this to a child? I don't think so. in my wildest dreams, I, I'm like a safety first girl, but this is like the sweetest, most innocent of holidays. Kids are dressed up. They're knocking on their neighbor's doors. It's just why would you even consider – this a possibility you probably wouldn't and this kind of sounds like one of the very first
1: instances where someone took advantage of this holiday so at that point you're not even thinking about checking candy like in today's world yes we check it because we've heard of stories like this but if this was truly one of the first ones you're not thinking about it you're like i hit the jackpot for my kids
0: let's go they're gonna be so happy you know absolutely police are starting to get a little suspicious of mr ronald but again what man would poison his own children and not to mention potentially poison the neighbor's kids and a sweet little unsuspecting boy from church what would be the why behind it so police began looking into ronald and his story was like i said just not really making a whole lot of common sense sense if that makes sense Mm -hmm. why did someone not come when the kids knocked But then an ominous hairy arm reaches out and hands him the almost perfect amount of giant pixie sticks for the children that this boogeyman never even saw. It just, nothing is making sense at this point. They found the owner of the home, and his name is Courtney Melvin. Obviously a great place to start. We gotta figure out who owns this house. Well, here's where things get extra suspicious. Courtney worked as an air traffic controller and had not gotten home until 11pm that evening. Over two hundred people confirmed he was at work. And I would imagine even in pre-9 eleven days, an airport is a pretty secure place. They have multiple checkpoints when they're coming into work, just like they do when you get to a flight. And there would have been plenty of people to see him. And I think the pilots would probably be aware if no one was sitting in the, you know, small little airport going like Okay, Raider, Raider, come on down. I I know that's not how they say it, but you know what I'm saying. His absence would obviously be missed at a job like this. So they were easily able to rule him out. So now the focus was solely on Ronald because he is the only one that has this really suspicious story. And Courtney was not there. Did they look at Courtney's arms? (laughs) Were they like, let me see your arm here? (laughs) prove it if we can braid your arm hair you are the suspect (laughs) i left this part out but i actually feel really bad i mean they were under so much pressure to figure out this case that they actually went to the airport and arrested courtney's sight unseen like immediately in front of Uh. all of his co-workers walked him out i mean obviously his name was cleared but could you imagine how wildly terrifying that would be that you're just standing at work bringing in the airplanes making sure people get from here and there safely and then you're being handcuffed on the ground and escorted out
1: very damaging to the reputation for sure regardless if your name is cleared rumors spread like wildfire in you especially in a small airport
0: and they're saying you murdered an eight-year-old boy by way of pixie stick poison <laughs> I don't know if they left that part in during their arrest, but (laughs) still, I feel terrible for Courtney that he was roped into this mess. I hope if he's still around, hope he's doing well. Ronald was thought of as a family man, an avid churchgoer, but we've done enough these episodes to already know things are not always as they seem. And the police suspicion of him only grew when they realized Ronald was severely in debt. A debt to the tune of around $100,000, which in today's money is about $600,752 in today's money, which is obviously not chump change.
1: How did he get himself in that situation?
0: He couldn't seem to hold a job down, and I don't want to, like, crush people's dreams. I myself have had a lot of jobs where I was figuring out what I wanted to do. Hell, I'm 35 and starting a podcast. But he was employed by 21 different places in 10 years so that averages out to less than six months at every job that is not very long for a man that is trying to support two kids and a stay-at-home wife
1: no and kids are expensive as hell I feel like you know yeah, they,
0: but he was, I, I mean was probably I have a dog trying. and yeah. my pocketbook hurts so I can't even imagine. <laughs> But his last place of employment, they suspected he was stealing and he was about to be fired from there too. He had defaulted on several bank loans and the family home and car were about to be repossessed and foreclosed on. He is in tough straits, but he's trying to keep up appearances. His wife, from every record I've seen, had no idea about their – I mean, she knew that they weren't rich. She knew that they weren't wealthy, but she had no idea that they were in this situation.
1: What do they call it? Keeping up with the Joneses.
0: Yeah, he was trying to keep up with the Bates next door. Yeah. So, what was there to gain financially from his son's untimely death? What is it always? Insurance. Without his wife knowing, Ronald had taken out life insurance policies on the children. In January, he took out ten thousand dollars, one policy for each kid. But think about this: this is Halloween night, so that means he was planning this all the way back in January. And one month before Halloween, he took out an additional $20,000 on both children. And again, just days before Halloween, he took out an additional $20,000 policy on both of his children. So at the time of Timothy's death, he had $60,000 to potentially gain from this insurance policies, cashing these three policies in if his son were to pass away. That's heartbreaking. I know
1: we never understand what goes on in someone's head, but like how can you do that? How can you have this idea in freaking January and go all those months making amazing memories
0: and still be like I'm going to make it higher. I'm it's going to happen. It's it's not only that. It's the fact that a good parent would sacrifice everything they have for their children. They don't mm-hmm. sacrifice their children to benefit themselves. That's
1: so well put.
0: I just don't understand this. And Ronald did not waste any time. In fact, he contacted the insurance companies at 9 a.m. right when they opened the morning after Timothy's death, requesting payout. Now, I'm glad he did shit like this because we need some evidence to get this guy. Yeah. But what an idiot. Police now have motive for murder, but what about the murder weapon and what would the autopsy tell them? The coroner noticed upon receiving Timothy's body the smell of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. I don't know if you're big into true crime, like old historic ones. Do you see my face right now? I'm like, (laughs) almonds. Hmm. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) No. So it's generally when someone is poisoned with cyanide.
1: Almonds is like the smell they emit. Interesting.
0: Okay. I tried to look up the research behind that of why, and it had so many words I couldn't even begin to pronounce and were quite (laughs) difficult to read. So I'm going to just let you guys do that, or if we have a doctor listening, if you can explain this to me, a historian, great. It is just like commonly known, I guess, that it can occur that if you are killed with cyanide, you will admit that smell. Unfortunately, Timothy's autopsy confirmed his suspicion because – get this, he had ingested in just that one little shake of that pixie stick enough cyanide to kill two or three grown ass men.
1: Oh my gosh. And remember, I remember you talking about how like he was convulsing, his stomach
0: hurt, like what an awful way to die, especially as an eight-year-old and all he wanted was his daddy. Yeah, he's crying out for his dad. How just, oh, that's another level of inhumanity I do not understand. As for the pixie stick, police had them in their possession and tests confirmed that the top two inches of candy had been poured out and replaced with cyanide granules. Then that staple, the one Ronald helped remove from his son's pixie stick, which is just another opportunity he had to go, this is a terrible idea. What am I doing? Nope. He helped him remove it. That staple was placed by Ronald over a folded edge to seal the pixie stick back into place so no one would be the wiser. They determined the other four sticks had enough cyanide to kill three to four grown adults. I'm speechless. Oh my gosh. How do you get that much cyanide? Well, if you think about it, it's not that much because it's They say that only two inches was removed Mm -hmm. and he would still need room to, like, fold the flap over. It's just incredibly deadly. There wasn't enough evidence that wasn't circumstantial at this point to pin it on Ronald. But the police started interviewing Ronald's friends and coworkers. And wouldn't you know it, a chemist that had worked with Ronald said he asked him. He thought in a joking manner or maybe he was just a history buff because this isn't too long after World War II. There was a lot of talk about cyanide, either poisonings or officers in the military killing themselves. You've heard those stories mm-hmm. of they like, carried a cyanide pill so they, if they got captured, they could die quickly. So he really thought this was a passive conversation. He didn't think anything of it. But Ronald asked him about cyanide and specifically how much would it really take to kill a man. A chemical supply salesman would later tell police that Ronald had contacted him, asking about where and how to purchase cyanide. Ronald's wife, unfortunately, was catching on, and she is, I mean, there's a lot of victims in this story, the other kids, the other kids' families, but she is also a victim, and I feel for her, because I cannot fathom what it would feel like to meet a man, you fall in love, you're raising two beautiful children, and while you're grieving the loss of your son— You're also in the process of losing your husband that you thought you knew. So she didn't know about, like I said before, she didn't know about the extensive debt. She didn't know about all these life insurance policies. She was completely cleared of any suspicion about this. She was kept in the dark and the husband whose shoulder she cried on grieving her baby boy is now the prime suspect in his murder.
1: I think that's like the ultimate betrayal. Not only did did he just murder their son, but finding out the debt and like who knows what else he was hiding from her all at the same time come crashing down on her like unimaginable.
0: With all of this evidence, circumstantial and otherwise piling up, because again, this is before DNA. They can't run all of that on the pixie stick. They can't do that because as Annie taught us, that wasn't around until the 80s. So it was time to make an arrest. And Ronald O'Brien was arrested November 5th. 1974. And let's applaud this detective work because this is just six days after the murder of his son.
1: I was going to say that's a quick turnaround. I was thinking like a year later, but man, they really they came in guns a blazing. Yeah. I
0: mean, imagine the community. They're thinking that this there's a person out there poisoning little kids. They had a lot of pressure on them to get this solved. And thank God, Ronald's an idiot. So he left maybe not a paper trail, but he certainly left communication trails because he wouldn't shut up about this. A true narcissist. He was charged with one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. During the trial, even more testimonies talked about Ronald asking various people about cyanide, telling co-workers in the week leading up to his son's murder that his financial troubles were about to make a huge turnaround. The testimony that really got me, though, was his wife saying that Ronald had actually urged Timothy to choose that particular piece of Halloween candy that night. Ronald kept saying he was innocent, but the jury didn't buy it. We're not freaking buying it either. They only took 45 minutes to convict him on all counts and 71 minutes to decide that he must be sentenced to death.
1: That's a quick arrest, quick trial and quick decision for death row. I'm saying that's totally amazing. Usually you don't hear that much justice come that quickly.
0: Oh, and the justice kept coming. Because whatever your feelings are about the death penalty, I think a man who would intentionally kill his own child while the child screamed out for him in pain and almost potentially killed four other innocent little children deserves what's coming to him. And jail was no walk in the park for old Ronald. The prisoners hated him. And in an act of unity against Ronald, they even submitted a petition to hold an organized demonstration on his execution date to show the world that even these criminals despised this man so much and thought his actions were beyond any forgiveness and reprehensible. So can you just imagine? These are like death row inmates and they're sitting around like putting a petition together to do Basically a protest, not against the death penalty, but for Ronald getting the death penalty. I have never heard of death row inmates putting together
1: an organization. No, like they knew how, number one, dangerous this man is. And number two, just how messed up this story is. Like they wanted him out of their jail and onto whatever's after that,
0: <laughs> you know. Nothing good for Ronald, I am mm-hmm. sure. Ronald's first two execution dates were granted a stay, but in some of the most karmic justice and timing, the judge who had sentenced Ronald decided his third execution date would be set for October 31st, eight years after the murder of his son. He ended that sentencing by offering to drive Ronald there himself. Wow. So there's not a whole lot of respect going around in this community for this man, nor does he deserve it. But again, the date was suspended. I want to give a little understanding of why this was happening. So, of course, if you're put on a death row, we know that you go through an appeals process. Usually by the time they set an execution date, you've already gone through those appeals. But this was going to be the first time that the lethal injection was used in the state of Texas. Oh, and wow. they were arguing that it was cruel and unusual punishment. Well, guess what? So it was killing your son by way of pixie stick cyanide. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they all agreed with you. Because on March 31st, 1984, Ronald O'Brien was executed by lethal injection. He gave quite a long final word speech, but I don't think his words matter because they weren't of repentance or remorse for his son, so I'm going to let those die with him. I will say on a totally different note, I have a bit of a morbid interest. When I research someone that was executed, I always want to know what their last meal was. I don't know if it's just because I love food so much. That is super interesting. It's just a peek into like the human side of them, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a reason for it. But if there's any other little curious betties out there, Ronald chose a T-bone steak, French fries with ketchup, corn, Sweet peas, a salad with egg and tomato with French dressing, iced tea. Now, here's where it gets really weird. Because up to this point, I'm like, all right, this makes sense. A package of saltines? That yeah, is that weird. Did make weird. A Boston cream pie and a sheet of bread rolls. He had a buffet.
1: He, he had a lot. Is
0: there a limit on how much food? <laughs> like- there is these days, but at the time, there wasn't. If they could get their hands on it, you could order it. For years, this case... Obviously, it was national news. It was a huge case. This would be remembered, kids weren't allowed to trick-or-treat, especially in Deer Creek. Halloween was canceled because of this man, basically, because he just set such fear that maybe there would be copycats and other people would get really bad ideas from this and its publicity around it and how much publicity he got during the trial because his face was everywhere. And while most of the stories that have come up since the murder of young Timothy don't have anything substantial backing them up, There has been a few cases that have added to the folklore. The 1982 Tylenol killings, which I'm sure we'll cover in another episode, didn't happen on Halloween, but it happened around that time. And sadly, in 2000, a man living in Minneapolis named James Joseph Smith was charged with one count of adultering a substance. Let's just say changing a substance with intent (laughs) to cause death, harm, or illness after it was proven that he was putting tiny needles into Snickers bars that he handed out on Halloween. Ow. Yeah, ouch. A 14-year-old boy was pricked when he bit into the Snickers bar, but he was totally fine. He didn't need medical attention or anything. It was just like, what the crap was that? So why there is some cases since I've certainly spawned these rumors of razors and apples and poison candy, I believe it's this case in Ronald O'Brien who became known, like I said in the press, as the candy man that really sparked these stories that are often told around Halloween season, especially as preventative measures against kids to kind of scare them into being a little safe out there. We don't want to just tell these stories to spook you. We want to give something positive if we can, and I'm not a parent yet, but I wanted to end this episode with some tips for safe trick-or-treating if you are a parent. Or maybe you're an adult and you like to trick or treat. You listen up too, okay? Yeah, I'm like pretty spooked right now to even eat candy from like CVS.
1: So give me some good tips.
0: Well, American Family Insurance put out an article that, of course, I'll link in the show notes. And it had some great tips. Among them, just in case, make sure that candy is in all of its original packaging. Like Annie and I's mom, she was already on top of it. And Mm -hmm. that any homemade treats are immediately discarded unless from a trusted friend. Remove any candy that may contain allergens for your child that they're not aware of. Super smart. I didn't even think of that. Add reflective tape to their costume if possible. And if not, consider having them walk with flashlights or glow sticks. Glow sticks would be fun.
1: Mm hmm. That would, and kids kids love a good glow stick.
0: Hey, I love a good glow stick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, kids and Elise love a good glow stick. (laughs) I'm gonna have a Halloween rave with my glow stick. (laughs) That way, they can easily be seen by other vehicles. And if your child is old enough to go trick or treating without, the parents being there make sure that they go in groups and that they share their location with you on their mobile device if they have one just so you can track their whereabouts if they need to be picked up if they're not feeling safe in a situation you know exactly where they are and with that said that wraps up our first case for spooky season it's honestly wildly tragic that little timothy lost his life in the arms of the person who was supposed to protect him at all costs and instead he did the exact opposite so there aren't words for this type of monster who could do that to their own child but i want to end the episode with this. on his execution date almost 300 people stood outside of where he was going to be executed and do you know what they shouted at him as he entered the building trick or treat Oh, mic drop. We hinted before that we are going to be bringing you a ton of content, new episodes, and Annie is going to be back just later this week with an all-new episode. Annie, do you want to give a little hint to what it's going to be about?
1: I do. If you've ever wondered why we have pumpkins on porches for Halloweens and how witches got involved or why a werewolf is a symbol of Halloween, join us because I'm going over all of the little traditions that we do and kind of where they stem from. It's going to be a good episode. Also, pretty kid friendly. So, if you ever have, if you're driving to school and you have a kid in the car and you want to listen to it, I approve.
0: All right. Well, Annie says it's kid approved, but we will see until then.